You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Wow. Is this the State of the Union address? I'm not used to having this much applause. Hopefully it doesn't have heckling with it too. So uh, It's great to be back with you today. I want to thank those of you who've been praying for my voice. I had a procedure a couple weeks ago. While I was under, uh, some stomach fluid got up, burned, uh, the acids burned my vocal cords, so I lost my voice. It's pretty painful, <clears throat> but my voice is back, so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, these next 30 minutes will be a test as how strong it is, so continue to pray, but I, it's great to be back with you. Today we're going to start a new series. We are starting a new series of messages and called The Gift of Life. If you ask someone to describe... Um, the most significant day of their life. If they're a parent, they will probably describe the day when their children were born. Uh, Conversely, if you ask someone to describe the worst day of their life, if someone they love has died, it's quite probably going to be that day. We value life, rightfully so. I woke up this morning to day number 23,150 of my life. Don't do the math. I'm 63. I don't want you to get lost in the weeds here. Now, when I woke up this morning, I I wasn't amazed that I was still alive. I just woke up because I have woken up 23,150 times to new life. And being alive is, is a daily occurrence, and so we usually don't step back in amazement at this gift. But that's what we're going to do the next five Sundays. We're going to step back and consider the wonder of this great gift of life. It is the greatest of gifts. We're going to start today with the biggest question about this gift, and that is the origin of life. The answer to this question determines our understanding of this gift, and honestly, whether it is a gift or not. Now, what everyone agrees, whatever they think about how life got started, what everyone agrees on this topic is that life had to have a beginning. There was a time when there was no life, then there was a time when life started. Cosmologist Alan Guth said it this way, any universe that is expanding had to have a beginning. Our universe is rapidly expanding. It had to have a beginning. The question, of course, is what started life? There's really two major uh, options available right now. The question is whether some kind of powerful being created life, brought it into existence, or whether a series of random molecules combined in just the right way, in the right conditions for life to occur. Now, both answers, whatever answer you come up with, both answers have to be taken by faith because no one was there to see this happen. There's no video of the moment when life started. Now, there, of course, there's evidence for us to consider, but whatever conclusion you make is a step of faith. You have to look at the evidence and then take a step of faith to get to a conclusion. And so I encourage you to consider it thoughtfully, this particular question. It's not just a philosophical question. It's not just a science question. This this question and the way you decide to answer this question will shape your life and the decisions you make more than any any other thing you decide on. If life is a random accident, a matter of chance, then that has implications for everything else. But if life is created, then that has a very different set of implications. Now, we're in a church, so no surprise which uh, decision we're going to deal with in these next five weeks. 
the foundation of our discussion is going to be around the fact that life is a gift from God. That's how we got the title of the series, The Gift of Life. And it will be the foundation of everything else that we say. Life is a gift from God. Psalms 139, verse 13, in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, we read this. For you, speaking of God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Life comes from God. He creates life. He is the giver of life. Last month, uh, many of you still remember this, DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills collapsed on the field, had to be resuscitated. In that instant, when his life hung in the balance, a couple of things got crystal clear. Number one, the value of even one life got suddenly clear. One person's life hung in the balance, and everything stopped. Even a football game, everything stopped. Everyone stood in the crowd. Everyone watching on TV just stopped and watched this struggle for life. That's because life is valuable. The second thing that got really clear is that for many, it was clear that they saw God as the giver of life because their first response was to pray. Probably saw all the players huddle in that big, giant circle in the middle of the field. If you've been watching football long enough, you remember this used to happen at the end of almost every game. But then the NFL policy changed. They don't allow that to happen anymore. But in that moment, it didn't matter whatever the rules of the NFL were. People were going to gather in the center of that field, and they were going to pray. Because God is the giver and the sustainer of life, and therefore when someone's life hangs in the balance, it is the most sensible thing that you can do. But if that's not your conclusion, then prayer doesn't really make any sense, and that's why for some in that moment, they rather awkwardly offered their thoughts as if that might help in the moment that life hung in the balance. So what we decide about the origin of life affects not just how we respond in a moment of crisis like that, but really to every moment. Now, for me, there are many reasons behind my thought process that led me to the point of believing that life is a gift from God. You have to do your own research on that, come to your own conclusions. But I want to share with you two that, that loom large for me, two reasons that loom large for me and why I am convinced that life is a gift from God. The first reason is the math. What I mean by that is the probability, just the probability, the math probability of life occurring by chance makes it improbable. All living things, we know this now, are made from cells. The simplest life form is just one cell. We, as humans, have trillions of cells in our bodies. Now, all of these cells, every cell, is made up of proteins linked together specifically in a long chain. How long is that chain? Millions of proteins exist in each cell. But it gets even more complex. Each protein, of which it takes more than a million to get a cell, each protein is made up of hundreds of amino acids. And these amino acids, like the proteins, they're not just randomly there. They are structured and organized in a precise way in order for them to function. So the probability, I was reading one author saying the probability of building one protein, again, this is one protein, not even a cell, one protein, by chance is the same as flipping a coin 150 times and expecting it to show up head every single time. That's just improbable. 
But even if that happened, given enough time, that just happened to happen, you still just have one protein. You're still a long ways away from a cell. And you're a long ways away from us. Because you don't just need to get a few hundred amino acids in a protein, like a bucket just dumped in there. They need to be organized in a precise way. You don't need to get a few million proteins dumped in a bucket called a cell. They need to be structured and linked together in an exact way. This is precision and organization and structure at a level that's hard for us to imagine. The math is astronomical on this. So this is why Nobel Prize winning molecular biologist Francis Crick says this. He's responsible for a lot of the, the human genome project. This is what he says, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. He's really struggling here. <laughs> so many are the conclusions which would have to have had been satisfied to get it going. It takes a tremendous amount of faith to look at a miracle, or as he says, almost a miracle, and call it chance. And I just have to be honest, I don't have that much faith. My faith is, I, I can't make that leap, personally, for me. So the math is one reason, as, I, as I've looked into this, it's just, it, it just makes no sense that life is random chance. The second thing for me is the presence of emotions in human life. Turns out we're not just complex beings. We are tremendously complex. But we are also emotional beings. So our biology isn't just amazing. We, we have something about us that isn't biological. It isn't chemical. It isn't periodic table elements. It's something beyond that. Now, sure, the biology gets involved, but it's something beyond that. We are emotional beings who love and who hate. We are moral beings who do good and do evil and feel the emotions of pride when we do good and guilt when we do evil. These are personal traits. In other words, these are traits that come from a person, not a molecule. These are not molecular traits. You can't just go from a protein molecule to, to feelings of guilt or love. So the question that you have to address when you look at human life is, where did these emotions come from? And if your conclusion is that God is not the giver of life, then you have to say that without God, somehow these emotions originated from physical things, from the periodic table of elements. Somehow emotions emerged. Now, again, I just don't have that much faith. What I believe about God creating the universe and all of the life in it requires faith, too. It does. I don't have video on it. I can't, I can't show you that. It requires faith. But I don't think it takes as much faith to believe that as it does to believe that there is no God behind all this. It makes more sense to me that an amazing mind is behind the amazing complexity of life. It makes more sense that a personal God who himself loves some things and hates other things and who himself says this is right and that is wrong it makes more sense that a God who is like that is why you and I love and hate and why we are always arguing about what is right and what is wrong. So everything we say about life for the next five weeks is built on this foundation. Life is a gift from God. God created life. 
Now we can unwrap this gift and consider what it is that we've been given and what that has to say about how we are to handle this great gift of life. So life is a gift from God. Number two, life is a dependent gift. What I mean by this is life needs batteries, and the batteries are not included. Every living thing needs something outside of itself to sustain its life, to stay alive. Now, I don't know what you plan to do with the rest of your day, maybe Super Bowl, maybe not, but I'm pretty sure I can describe a few things you're going to do. You're going to eat some food. You're going to drink some water before this day is out. Why do I know that? Because like me, you need calories and you need water to sustain your life. I will further predict that you will get some sleep in the next 24 hours. You need that too. And you will probably sleep under a blanket and under a roof because your body cannot maintain the body temperature that it's supposed to maintain in order to stay alive. If you're exposed to the cold of night, you will die. This is true of all life forms, not just human life, all life forms. Life is not independent. Life needs something to stay alive. Every living thing on this earth needs something. And so every living thing thrives in one environment where those resources are, and it dies in another environment where those resources are not. Now, it turns out that, the, that behind all of the what that our lives are dependent on is a who that our lives are dependent on, and that who is God. Acts 17.28 says, For in him, again speaking of God, we live and we move and we have our being. We live and move because God is providing our life. Of all the things that we need every day to sustain our life, all those things, food, water, shelter, all of those things are designed to remind us of the fact that what we need most is God himself. So what is it exactly that we need from God? Jesus made this clear before he began his public ministry where he revealed who he was when he walked here on earth. He spent 40 days before he went public with who he was in the desert, fasting. And at the end of that time, he was starving because although he was God, he was God in a body. And in a human body, he needed food and he needed water. He was starving. And in that moment of weakness, Jesus came to tempt, or not Jesus, Satan came to tempt him to sin, to kind of end everything that he planned to do before he even really started. And in Matthew 4, verse 4, in response to one particular temptation to sin, this is Jesus' response. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is he saying here? Well, he's pointing to the obvious fact that is really clear now for him, having not eaten for 40 days, is the human body needs food. But it's pointing to the deeper fact that what we really need, even beyond bread, is God's words. Now, how is it that God created everything, including life? He didn't just think it into existence. He spoke it into existence. In Genesis, we read that he said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be light. If you read on, he 
He spoke the rest of creation into existence, including us. So in Psalm 33, verse 6, we read this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. So God's words are not like our words. We speak, and sometimes what we say happens. A lot of times it doesn't happen. God speaks, and things come into existence. Creation comes into existence, and life is begun. But God's words are not just a life-starting power. They are a life-sustaining power, like food sustains our life. That's the point Jesus is making. Hebrews 1.3, we are told that Jesus is sustaining all things by his powerful, what? Word. So our life is not just sustained by bread and water and shelter and all the other visible things we know we need, but by what God says, his words. We are living on his words. Now, what does that look like in daily life? I mean, we know what it looks like to get food and water, but how do you eat God's words and live? We are sustained by God's words when we obey God's words. This was the point that Jesus was making in the desert. Satan was tempting Jesus to disobey God's words, and Jesus said he would not defy those words. And then he said, why? It's because God's words sustain life, just like bread does. We are dependent on God's words in the same way our bodies are dependent on food. Now, if we stop eating, we start dying. We don't die immediately, but we get weaker and weaker. If we stop obeying, we start dying. Not immediately, but on the inside, we get weaker and weaker. That's because we have been given the kind of life that is dependent. It's dependent on a lot of things like food and water, but it's most dependent on God. So God's words are not just God giving us rules to keep. It is God speaking life to us. A good way to think of it is our, our habitat as human beings are found within the boundaries of what God has said. God's words are our habitat. Now, you might recognize <clears throat> this owl. It became rather famous back in December. This is the snowy owl that showed up in Cyprus back in December. Got a lot of attention because no one had ever seen this particular kind of owl this far south in this area. And that was a concern for its health because it was so far from its habitat. Let me show you the, the map of the habitat of the snowy owl. So this particular owl was way off course. I mean, it's a, even for a migratory bird, they, they barely dip into the states. They don't come to Disneyland for vacation. This is not what snowy owls normally do, and that's why there was such a concern. But this owl seemed to be healthy. Why? Well, the border of this, this habitat map is not a line that means the moment any particular snowy owl crosses the line, they just die and drop. No, it's, it's not the way it works. It's the area in which the snowy owl life flourishes. So the cypress bird is now gone, and it's a good thing because it needs, it's got a lot of miles to go to get back up there. It's got to get back up north in order for it to survive and thrive. 
This is what God's words are like for us. They mark the boundaries of our habitat. Inside of the boundaries is what God has said yes to. Now, this yes is not a, if you'd like to be a good person, do these things kind of yes. This is a, if you would like to experience life in its fullness and thrive in every way that God designed you to thrive, this is, this is what that yes is about. Then stay within the habitat of God's words. Outside the habitat boundaries of God's words is what God has said no to. Not because it's some rule, but because it's where our kind of life begins to die. Now, we don't die instantly. You know, that snowy owl didn't die the moment it crossed the border of its habitat. That's because there's no fence around these borders. The habitat just marks the areas where the resources for that particular life are found. Living creatures are free to roam outside of the boundary of their habitat. But they are not free to thrive outside of the boundaries of their habitat because their life is a dependent kind of life, dependent on the resources that are present inside that habitat. In the same way, if we step outside of God's words, we don't die instantly, but we are beginning to move away from life. And if we don't get back inside our habitat, we will begin to wither on the inside. We will begin to weaken. So we are all free to ignore God's words, but we are not free to thrive apart from them. That's just the nature of our life. Just like you, you can't survive apart from water. You can decide to stop drinking water, but you can't keep living and stop drinking water. The problem is we've all decided <clears throat> that we don't want to stay within the boundaries of God's words. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, made that decision, and we've followed them in that. They decided they wanted to be free from God's words. Satan, who tempted them, told them that if they, had, if they were to defy God, what would happen is that they would become like God in this particular way. They would know good and evil. What was the temptation? You don't have to listen to the boundaries that God has drawn. You can draw your own boundaries. That was the temptation. And so Adam and Eve, like us, they want the primary type of freedom where no one can tell them what to do. That's the freedom that God has. God's life is not dependent. He needs nothing outside of himself. Our life is not that kind of life. Our life is dependent. We need stuff outside of us to survive. Now, we've all followed in Adam and Eve's steps. We have expanded the boundaries of our freedom beyond what God has said. We have declared our independence. The problem is we're still dependent. Now, you can declare your independence, but it doesn't change the reality. We cannot thrive outside of our habitat. But because the effects of living outside of the habitat of our life are not instant, we tend to not notice the effects that they have on us. And by the time we notice them, it's been so long since we've rejected God's ways that we then tend to not make the link between, you know what, I'm feeling so bad and I'm withering so much on the inside because I'm way out of the boundaries of what God has said. We don't make that connection because the impact is, is delayed. So in this series, we're going to be looking at what God says about life. 
Because it's a gift from him, it is to be lived his way. He is the one who created us, and he knows what's best for us. That's the premise we're going to be operating on. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, part of what we are deciding to do is migrate back to God's words. To decide to use his words to guide our life like a compass. The third point and final point this morning is life is a participatory gift. What I mean by this is we don't just stand by and watch God create new life. We participate in the creation of new human life. That's amazing. I think we all know that this picture is not how babies appear. Okay? If you think that's true, talk to somebody. Not me. Somebody else. Obviously, babies don't come from storks. They come from us, mothers and fathers. They require the biological material from a man and a woman. That's what's required for a new life to occur. Now, we are all pretty clear that we are not the power behind this new life. But we are necessary participants in it. So again, back to the verse we read earlier. Psalm 139, 13. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Who's doing the creating? God is. But we are a required part of it. Life, human life, requires a sperm and an egg for it to even begin. And it requires the uterus of a woman to be the place where the knitting together of this new life occurs. We are co-creators with God. That's, I mean, just, that's amazing. This is why for parents, it is the birth of their children that stands out as a moment they will never forget. Now, they're under no illusion that they had nothing to do with this. They know they had a part of this new life. But, man, I remember when our two were born, it, it sure feels and looks like a miracle. Which means that our part was small in comparison with God's. Now, God could have made human life occur in any way he wanted to. He is the creator. He could have done the stork delivery method or something else where life just kind of appeared directly from the heavens, directly from God, like the first life appeared. Why partner with us in the creation of new life? Why, why was that what God decided to do? And why require us to partner with someone else? Why can't we just participate with God directly and create new life? Why do we have to partner with somebody else to create new life? It's because of the very core reality of who God is. God, in his essence, is a partnership. God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons and one God. We call this the Trinity. Try for three, unity for one. So at his very core, at his very essence, God is perfect partnership. Three in one. And so that fact shows up in what he's created. 
And he extends the offer of partnership to us in the most amazing of all endeavors, the creation of new life. And in order for new life to occur, it requires us to partner with God because God needs to bring the new life into existence. And it requires us to partner with each other. It requires men and women to partner. Or at a minimum, the genetic material from a man and a woman. It requires two in one to create a new life. Now, the thing about partnerships is they are challenging. When I was in business, I, was, I worked for a couple of different partnerships. And partnerships work well if the partners are on the same page. When the partners agree about what needs to be done and which of them is best suited to do the different roles, then a partnership could be a tremendous advantage. But partnerships are an absolute disaster if that doesn't occur. If the partners disagree, if any one of the partners decide to just do their own thing and do whatever they want to do, make up their own rules, then that business declines and probably dies. It's a disaster. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to consider the various places where the partnership of life occurs. We're going to look at the, the places where God has mandated both biologically and relationally, for us to partner. And what he says about how that partnering is to take place. So we're going to look at the four great amazing gifts of life. We're going to look at the gifts of sex, the gifts of gender, the gift of marriage, and the gift of children. So let me summarize the premise under which we're going to consider all of these gifts. We've said these, but let me review them. Number one, life is a gift from God. His words started life, and they now sustain life. So we are going to consider what he says. What he says is the habitat under which life thrives. Second premise, life requires a habitat to sustain it because we are dependent beings. One of the big things in our culture right now is personal autonomy. That is, that is not who we are. We are dependent beings. We can declare autonomy. We can act like we're autonomous, but we are not. We are dependent on God's words, whether we recognize that or not. The third premise, life requires a partnership to begin because we are limited beings. So next week... We're going to talk about the gift of sex. Now, I'm not going to be explicit, but I wanted to make sure that the parents in the room know this, because if you decide to bring your kids in, be aware. We're going to be talking about sex. Again, not explicitly, but we will be talking about sex. Because sex is the moment where we partner for life to begin. And therefore, it has tremendous power. But it needs to be understood in light of what God says, are the boundaries for our habitat to thrive. So I'm really excited about this series. I think it's going to be very helpful. Let's pray. Father, we <clears throat> marvel at the gift of life. Sometimes we just don't think about it. We just live. 
But then something happens where maybe our life is in jeopardy or someone we love's life is in jeopardy and, and suddenly we realize, well, there's just nothing more important than life. And we recognize behind that is the one who is most important, and that is you. You are the author of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. So I pray that as we consider this gift that you've given us, as we unwrap this gift and we think about this gift, and we consider our lives in light of this gift, that you would speak to us. You would show us where we are out of bounds personally and where we can get back in line, not just so we can be good rule keepers, but so that we can live life the way you intended it for, for us to be. So Father, we thank you for this gift. We pray for your guidance and clarity as we consider these matters in the weeks to come. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.